Hi everyone, my name is Steve Tudor and welcome to the Premier League Review Show. It's a show that would rate James Ward-Prowse a lot more if he didn't have a haircut straight out of Wizarding Chips. On today's pod, we're very reluctantly looking back at refereeing farce at Old Trafford, as well as trying to make sense of other farces involving both Merseyside clubs. We'll also be making some bold claims about the rest of this season. To do this, I'm joined as ever by my top flight cohort, Tom Young. Hi Tom, are you bored of being called a top flight cohort yet? <laughs> no, I'm just currently looking at what Witter and Chips is, because I think that was a little <laughs> bit before my time, but from, from what I oh. gather, it's, it's quite a... Uh, it's quite a valid uh, comparison. I've just found the Wizard and Chips annual from 1981, which was some 18 years before I was born. So <laughs> oh, man! <it's>, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, th- for once it was a oh. reference I wasn't too familiar with, but it's a good reference. I just wanted to Ouch. check that I could approve of it before we went on with the show. So, yeah, that hurts. That does hurt. <laughs> <laughs> I used to love that as a kid. But yeah, I was never a Beano man or a, an occasionally dandy. I mean... Are you aware of Beano and Dandy? Yeah, you know what? I'm I'm aware of Beano and Dandy. Yeah, them two, them two are all right. But uh, yeah, not Wizard and Chips. I can't say I've ever heard of Wizard and Chips prior to, to this conversation. <laughs> so there we go. In fact, I think I, I caught some kind of Beano cartoon recently, and Nasha speaks, and oh, it was all wrong. It was all <laughs> what what's happening? What like a like a a, t- a televised? I think thing. so. Like, yeah, I'm, yeah. Oh, no way. Yeah, yeah not, not, that even seems. A bit too rogue for me, you know, I'm kind of the, the next generation along, so. <laughs> um, oh, there's no putting this off, is it? Let's, I, I'm assuming I've been really busy with work and I've basically not had a chance to listen to any Night 320 pods this week. I'm assuming Asan and Howard and the rest have really covered this in depth. But we have to, and we will kind of try and approach it from a different angle. Um, first of all, did you go at the weekend? Yeah, unfortunately, oh, I did. Man. It was uh, it was rough. It was rough. It's uh, a game I'd like to put to the back of my mind. Of yeah. course, I'm aware it needs discussing, but hopefully, um, it's something that we uh, <laughs> that we don't need to talk about in too great detail. Well, let's yeah, let's whiz through it or whiz and chips through it. It's in the first <laughs> half. Um, in the first half, at least, there was definitely an improvement from City from their pathetic performance at Southampton. I'm thinking specifically Cancelo, for example. Um, I think it took a lot of balls, actually, for a game of, of that stature for him to play as he did. In the opening seconds, I think he went on some kind of mazy run. Um, I've got a lot of respect for that lad to kind of, you know, to try and play his way out of bad form. Um, looking at a team as a whole, I mean... It kind of evened itself out, I'd say, in that first half. I think I think there was there was certainly an improvement from Southampton. I think it would have been difficult to get worse than we were yes, at Southampton. Yeah. I still think we were. There was just something about that first forty-five where it was it was just really frustrating to watch. Like you say, you had Cancelo going off the left and and making these these mazy runs and and kind of Walker bombing forward, but it kind of felt when we got to that final third. Yeah. yeah. We were stopping, we were turning around, we were starting again. And that first half, for all the ball that we had, for the amount of possession that sort of we enjoyed, we we just didn't create anything. I think that the best the best look we had in that first half was was Kyle Walker's pot shot at the end of the half, which which flew wide. And that was kind of a the the first half in a nutshell for me was we we were there and, and then even though we enjoyed so much of the ball, they kind of they created the best couple of chances of the half and if it weren't for Rashford getting the ball caught under his feet and Walker getting back and, and clearing one off the line that 
maybe we we may have found ourselves behind in that first half. But it it was better. It was certainly better. But again, I don't know. Just heading into that final third, I was particularly disappointed with with Phil Foden at the weekend. I thought he was he was really poor, and I think he has been poor since since coming back from the World Cup. But yeah, there was just something in that first half that we just didn't quite didn't quite find that final gear that we needed. Obviously, we went on to to improve a bit in the second half, but. Yeah, I don't know. It, it felt like we had the opportunity to to get out and, and get ahead early, and we just never really looked like doing so. No, like watching it on the telly, I mean, basically there was a lot of passing around at the back from uh, Akanji and, and Ake, and they, they weren't going forward, and they were, they were obviously looking to move a ball forward. But so was the movement off? I mean, like Foden, for example, he was never found, but was he looking to be found? Was I mean, because Obviously, watching it on the telly, I can only see kind of you know the back line passing it around back. I can't see what the movement's going on. Or, yeah, you know. it was it was hard because it Foden, like I say, the frustrating thing with Foden is he was he was permanently stuck out on that left hand yeah. side to the point where he was hugging the touchline. He wasn't, and the the difference that you get maybe with a Grealish to a Foden in in that sort of area is that Grealish kind of looks to his body shape, he's positioned as soon as he picks up the ball to go inside his man and get to the edge of the box, whereas Foden was kind of shaping to get the ball and get to the byline. And I'm I'm st- I'm stood there and I'm watching him and I'm thinking, you're playing against Wan-Bissaka, who is only here because of injury to Dallow. He's been out of form, he's been out of favour for the last 12 months. Pick up the ball and have a run at the man. And he's kind of sticking to the touchline. He doesn't really look interested in, in taking on his man when he's picking up the ball. And similarly with Mares, he he kind of was was drifting in a bit more, but then you see Walker making these runs around him and he's not being found. And I just don't think the wingers were quite were quite at it in that first forty five. Um I didn't really see what what the game plan was, what the idea was. And I mean for me, Phil Foden, get the ball at your feet and run at a man, you're unbelievable with the mm. ball at your feet. You're one of the best technical dribblers in the league, comfortably in the league. So get at your man and there was no point where he really looked to to pin his ears back and, and try and knock it past Wan uh, Wan who again I don't think he's blessed with unbelievable pace. I know Foden isn't the quickest player in the world, but neither is Wan Bissaka. And you think just have a go, and he, he just never really did in that first half. No, you've got to look to get into the channels as well because one thing yeah. that I mean Wan Bissaka's got so many flaws to his game, but he has been playing very well recently. United fan Tommy recently is much improved, but. One of the, the flaws, sorry, one of his strengths is one-on-one situations and basically, you know, he, he loves a kind of one-on-one like he did against Sterling. He's kept Sterling quiet on numerous derbies. So, for me, you've got to play to his flaws, which is, you know, go into the channel, bring him out of his comfort zone. Um, Foden never looked to do that at all. Um, and, you know, that's on him. Uh, even in under, under instruction from Pep, that's on him. Um, so, City scored... Uh, one nil up. Um, cute kind of carnage, I'm sure. In there, yeah, in the unbelievable carnage at, at that moment. It everything was good in the world. It was fantastic. <laughs> in the end at that point. Um, only then came the incident. Um, United's first goal, uh, which I put into Peter Marks in the agenda because it just clearly wasn't a goal. I've got to be honest and say when I first saw it, I dreaded it because I thought, oh crap, this is definitely a goal because. You know, it looked like offside, but Bruno Fernandez was the only one who's touched it, and he's clearly onside. So, yeah. I think maybe even the first replay as well. I, I I just thought, go on, just you know, get out of the way, just give a goal, and then we can. 
And then it starts to sink in, of course, about kind of how Rashford's active and, you know, and that's just me as a layman, but, you know, a referee and VAR, they yeah. know the rules. What the what was going on there? Uh, honestly, uh, we, we obviously in the ground, given the fact that United, for some reason, still live in the ice age and don't have a big screen, we got no second view of the goal yes, at the time yeah. anyway. So from what I was there... We're sort of behind the play from from the end of the pitch where the away end is, so it just looks a mile offside, and then you see everyone sort of protesting, and and we're talking amongst ourselves, and we can't understand what the protest could possibly be. Rashford's clearly offside; he's clearly involved in the play. So, wh- mm. where's the issue? And then you see the goals given, and and again, it's the signalling there's terrible, so we don't really know till you get out of the ground, but. You've kind of got to assume at the time that it's the right decision. You assume that VAR has played a role in that, only to find out later on that it didn't because VAR can't get involved because the referees had the conversation between themselves or whatever it is. So, yeah, yeah, it was it was strange. But looking back, I can't I can't fathom as to how as to how a goal's been given. It, It doesn't make sense to me how how that even if that is the rule and if the rule was applied correctly, which allegedly it was. Why is that the rule in the first place? I said on Twitter after the game, I was saying, in theory, if Akanji just wipes out Rashford as he runs through, he'd get a red card for wiping him out. But then that red card would then be rescinded because Rashford was was offside when the ball was played. So is that now telling defenders, if you know he's offside, just take him out, bring him to the ground, pull his air or do whatever you can Mm. to stop the goal being scored, which is bonkers to think that if that had happened you would assume the goal would be ruled out for him being offside. But then why can the goal stand even though he's quite clearly offside? It's just, it's such a a bizarre goal and it's something that, that may set a, a dangerous precedent moving forward as to will, will strikers now, will we see more players? And understandably, I'd like to see now City do the exact same thing if, if it's something that's going to be given. Let Haaland linger offside, shield the ball from any defenders arriving, and then let Foden yeah. jump on the end of it and score. Like if, but that's what we may we may now see, and I, I I would be very surprised if we don't see Dermot Gallagher on Sky Sports News on Monday morning saying there's been a rule change and it's been amended, but that doesn't help us now, does it? So no, I mean the the most frustrating thing for me was the idea that VAR couldn't intervene because it's subjective and, and down to the referee's interpretation, but. They've got earpieces, you know what I mean? They've got yeah. a direct line. They could easily have just... And no one would ever have known if, you know, whoever it was, or was it Stuart Outwell on, on VAR, if he'd simply said, you've got, you've got to go and kind of revise this. This is not this is not a goal. And you could basically yeah. have just said that, you know, this is not a goal. Um, and then the ref could have even, you know, just basically had a chat with a linesman knowing the whole time, no, I'm not going to give this. So why VAR didn't intervene, even though it's not supposed to, by their own rules, by the way, so it's not as if, you know, it's down in statute and, and it can't be changed. It's their own rules. Um, it's find it incredibly annoying that VAR, essentially at that point, know that a goal is being incorrectly given and by their own rules don't do anything about it. It's just ridiculous that. In a derby, yeah. in, in like... Where, where our elite titles at stake, it's absolutely ludicrous, that is, and it yeah, annoys it's, the crap it's out bonkers. of me. Um, did City collapse after that? And if so, can you blame them? Yeah, I think I think they do. I think it's a it's a kind of a mix of City. City had still got the the backup about the goal. Yeah, United are obviously have that big boost and the crowd are behind them, and there's that kind of 
but the two the two factors together um, lead to kind of a period of madness by where City concede a second that I don't think they concede in any other circumstances. But that such is the nature of, of the goal and the anger that City players... I mean, every single City player was surrounding the referee and complaining, mm. and understandably so. So it makes sense as to why it happened, but it's, it's frustrating that it happened in the way that it did. So we're looking at now um, Spurs on Thursday. We're looking at Wolves at the weekend. We're looking at Arsenal uh, the Friday after. Three home games on the trial. Arsenal, of course, in the FA Cup. Pretty much will define our season. And certainly the first two are must-win. I mean, we can't afford to drop drop any more points. How do you fancy us, given the shape we're in right now? Given, do you, do you think it's a case where it might be a blessing in hindsight what happened because it's just going to fire up that squad? Um, how do you think basically the next kind of couple of weeks are going to play out? It's a huge couple of weeks, and I now think we are in must-win territory. Yeah, I think yeah. if we are to have any chance of winning the title from here, which I now think is unlikely, we have to go on a, on this run of wins that we've seen the squad are capable of in, in the past. At the minute, we don't look like we're in a position to go on a run of winning 10, 15 games in a row. I must admit, I don't see that happening. Um, but yeah, that starting with Spurs on Thursday, we, we're in a we're in a position now where anything other than a win against Spurs on Thursday is is probably fatal for our chances of winning the league. But then you look at it in the positive light, and we could potentially we, we currently sit eight points behind Arsenal. We could be two points behind Arsenal before they next play. I know they'd have a game in hand over us, but if we can if we can string a couple of wins together, they don't play until tea time on Sunday. We've got two games before them, both at home. Um, and then they've got a tricky, tricky match against United. It could well be that that by Sunday we're we kind of it looks now that we're eight points behind, and we are eight points behind. We could be two points behind by the close play on Sunday. So it's it's um, it's fine margins. There's still a lot to play for. It's not over by any stretch of the imagination. But uh, but Man City are certainly in a position now where we can't afford any more slip ups. And I think we need to beat Spurs on Thursday, but we need to beat Spurs convincingly. We need to go out there and. And put Spurs to the sword. Kind of, we'll touch, we'll touch upon Arsenal later, obviously, in the podcast. But like Arsenal did, go out there and just be convincingly better than Spurs. Yes. Like, we know we are. Like, we know we can be. Win that game comfortably. Give the give the City fans a reason to be to be cheerful again. It's it's um, it's difficult at the moment to to have much to be cheerful about. We've we've. Mm. Great through a couple of games that we've won at Stamford Bridge and then we had a good win in the FA Cup. We then go and have a horror show at Southampton. We we somehow lose that game at Old Trafford. So, it, it's, I mean, obviously, fact there are clubs that have it much worse than Manchester City, but as far as Guardiola's era at City is concerned, this is one of the more troubling times we've had. So, hopefully, we can, we can start that turnaround on Thursday when we, uh, when we take our Spurs. Thanks for listening to the first 15 minutes of the show. To listen to the full podcast and all our content, including reviews, previews, analysis, quizzes and much more, go to 9320.com to sign up now or simply click the link in the description. So what are you waiting for? Go to 9320.com now for the best, most passionate, impartial coverage of Manchester City and beyond.